coming out on Chopper's politics. Okay, you're a bit louder than that. I want, I want to hear you in the newsroom. One more go. One, two, three. Coming out on Chopper's politics. I'm very good. Is the Tory you kissed involved in politics today? Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to be drawn. <laughs> Hello, I'm Christopher Hope, the Associate Editor for Politics at the Daily Telegraph, and welcome to your weekly edition of Chopper's Politics. Now, this week is a bit different. We're at Telegraph headquarters, and we've just hosted the person who could be the next Prime Minister in just over two years' time, Sir Keir Starmer, the Labour leader. And to mix it up a bit, we thought we'd make it different. We asked 30 students from St George's School, Harpenden, to come in with their best questions. And I should say from the outset that all I did with these students was to ask them for a serious and a funny question. Otherwise, I had literally no idea what they were going to ask Sir Keir Starmer. Have a listen. Keir Starmer, welcome to Chopper's Politics. Great to have you here in the Telegraph offices. Very good. With some students here from St George's School in Harpenden. Now, they've got their questions, which are better. I'm going to give you easy ones, warming up. Are you going to win the next general election? I hope so, and I think we've put ourselves in a a good position to do so. And I think it's necessary. I'd be really interested when we get to the questions from the school children here and young people, because I really think there's a need for change. I feel that... We're in a really stagnant position now as a, as a country. Um, we've almost lost hope and we want change. We want to give people the option of saying, look, do you want to carry on with this or do you want a brighter future going forward with the Labour government? I see you as the party that likes to say yes at the moment. You're saying yes to business. You're saying yes when you can. And the Tories are saying no. We saw in planning this week when they're trying to stop doing top-down building targets for new homes for these young people. Yeah, I think we've reached quite a... An interesting position, because I think this government feels like it's run out of ideas, run out of steam, and it doesn't really know where to go. And if you look at some of what's going on at the moment, you've got you know, the highest tax since the Second World War, which is a real inhibitor. I mean, that means people are really facing difficult situations at home with bills, etc. More tax makes that even more difficult. But the thing about housing is really interesting, because by not going forward with the proposals, they're going to make it harder to build houses and it means that there's going to be less homes for people to own. That, with what they've done to the mortgages, mean that the sort of dream of home ownership is Mm. over under this government. What would you say, though, to to readers of our paper who might object to new homes being built on the edge of villages and towns? Well, um, we need to give young people the hope of owning their own home. You know, I want 70% home ownership. You know, I grew up um, in a semi on the uh, border of Surrey and Kent, and that home that we had meant everything to us. But if you look at what the Conservatives are doing there, you know, destroying that dream of home ownership, it's the most anti-Conservative Conservative Party I think we've ever known. High taxes and destroying the dream of home ownership. What a combination. If ever there's an argument for change, that's got to be it. You've got to win 120 seats. Yeah, now, that's a lot, OK, so you're on 100 and 196 at the moment. How do you win all that number of seats to win the next election? That's a huge task. It is. And um, 2019 was the last election, as you will know, the year your school won comprehensive of the year. Um, but we lost as the Labour Party very badly in that year. And that was our worst election result since 1935. I then took over as leader. And I had 
absolutely clear in my mind the three things I needed to do. The first was to turn the Labour Party around. Um, if you lose that badly, you don't look at the electorate and say, what were you doing? Uh, you look at your own party and say, we've got to change. And we've done that, massive change to the Labour Party. The Labour Party is a different Labour Party. You know, our relationship with business, our clear-headed approach on NATO, absolutely turned the Labour Party around. We had to then make the argument that the Conservative government isn't fit to govern. We've been ably assisted by them over the last 12 months in that. And now we've got to make that argument about how we face the future. And um, we've got to bring hope back and aspiration back because, you know, there are so many things that we can do. And my frustration over the last 12 years is that I feel we've been held back. We're a brilliant country. We've got great scientists, great innovators, great businesses, great young people with a massively fantastic future ahead of them. And I feel we're in a sort of defensive crouch the whole time, almost lacking the confidence to go forward. We've got to break through that, but we have to persuade people to vote Labour again. And I've got the list of all the constituencies we need to win, and I'm utterly focused on how we do that. In a tweet... Why should these people here vote Labour? They turn 18 this year and next year. They've got a chance to vote for you for the first time. Hope and change. Um, let me give one small example. I suspect some of your questions will be about climate. It's the single biggest challenge we've got um, facing us, and we've got to deal with it. But I don't just see it as an obligation. I think it's the single biggest opportunity. The jobs that you may have in the future may well be in fantastic change because we've got to change renewables, the source of energy. We've got, I, I met young people in a place called Filton um, working on the next generation of aeroplanes. Yeah, fantastic. They were apprentices working on the next generation of aeroplanes, which were, they're they're testing out hydrogen planes, and then they want to go to electric planes. It was fantastic. Your future is tied up with running towards that challenge. That was a thread, not a tweet, but I'll let you off there. Hope. Hope Hope being the one word, okay. And do you worry about your team is a bit cocky, thinks it's in the bag? I mean, you're 20 points ahead in in the polls. No. Um, How are you stopping that happening? Every week we have a shadow cabinet, so I sit round with my senior team. And every week, the same message from me, which is no complacency. Every single vote has to be earned. And we have to fight as if we're five points behind in the polls all of the time. So absolutely no complacency. What's your offer to telegraph people who are worried about the soaring cost of living, taxes going up in the most recent autumn statement? Um, that will you cut taxes? We are the, the, the offer will be that we've got to stabilise and grow our economy. And everything hangs off that. Now, quite often, the Labour Party doesn't want to fight an election on the economy. We want to fight the election on the economy. We've got to grow our economy because that's the only way that we can actually make the progress that we need to make. On, on taxes, I mean, firstly, you know, the highest tax since the Second World War. I mean, this really is anti-conservative stuff. I want taxes to come down for working people. They've been really clobbered time and time again, whether that's on income tax, whether it's national insurance or council tax or the stealth tax of thresholds. Everywhere you'd look, obviously, you know, we've got to reduce our debt. I accept that. We've got to grow our economy. I accept that. But you then got to decide, well, where, where is the burden going to lie? And this government keeps clobbering working people. And there are alternatives. The oil and gas companies, and you may have all seen this, the oil and gas companies um, have made absolutely massive profits that they didn't expect to make because the global price of energy is so high. So they calculated what profits they thought they'd make when they thought the prices would be at a certain level. The price has gone through the roof. They've made £172 billion of profit they didn't expect to make. And we say you should tax that properly and have that contribute to... 
um, you know, paying off um, the debt in the way that we've got on, to. On the detail there, the, I think your party's policy is to cut the base rate of income tax to 19p at the moment. Will you fight the election on that? Well, uh, Chris, I'm not going to spell out our manifesto now. You can, um, if you like. And, no, I mean, you know, we, we are going to inherit a really damaged economy and we will be the party of sound money and we will set out exactly what we'll do going into that election. And I want to see lower taxes for working people. But it's very important, and there's a less big political lesson in this, that we don't make promises we can't keep. Mm. Because I think one of the reasons that trust in politics is low is because too many politicians make promises they can't keep. So I'm not going to set out our manifesto or set out what we do on tax at this stage. We will do that before the election. But the hope is to bring taxes down if you win power. I would like to see lower tax on working people, yes. Just on Brexit, quickly, we've been on my podcast several times. It was called Chopper's Brexit Podcast. Of course it was. When Brexit was controversial, no longer. Yeah. It's now the steady state of the Labour Party too. Would you reverse it? No. I voted to remain in the EU, but we've left. Um, and uh, there's no case now for going back. Not even a Swiss model, which Jeremy Hunt quite likes? No, I went to Switzerland and <laughs> studied that model, and I wouldn't do a Swiss model. Um, look, there's no going back, mm. but the deal we've got isn't good enough. We've got to improve on that, and, you know, look at it in lots of different ways. There's a massive fight going on in Northern Ireland over a protocol. That's got to be fixed. Uh, that's damaging our international reputation because we signed a deal as a country, and now we're threatening to rip it up. On the international stage, that's done huge damage to our reputation because the UK used to be a country that was renowned for the rule of law and, you know, yeah. our word. And um, we've got to improve That's mainly on a that. trust issue, isn't it, between the EU and UK in Northern Ireland? The yeah, tr- both, both, both sides have got to be flexible yeah. on this. But if you sign a deal, then um, you shouldn't then turn around and threaten to rip it up. But, or, or if you do then it risks your reputation. And, you know, the American... We all talk about a trade deal with America. America's been very clear. If you don't keep your word, if you mm. don't sort out the situation in Northern Ireland, then don't expect a trade deal with us any time Do you soon. understand why people voted Brexit now? I think when we first spoke, you were going to find out why that happened. Well... It wasn't understood in, uh, amongst some people. I think that many, many people who voted to leave the EU were voting for a change, a better future, a different future. And there was a phrase, take back control. And I think the more people ask themselves, do I have control in my life? The more they answered that question, no. And that was bound up, not just with the question of EU membership, but the whole question of trust in politics. You know, if if you don't feel that you can really influence what's going on in your own community, you can't in some places, there's not a decent school you can go to. You don't feel in control. If your income is shrinking and you can't pay the bills, you don't feel in control. And if you don't think you can influence or trust your politicians, you don't think you're in control. And so the change I want to see as a result of that referendum is not just in relation to um, our relationship with the EU, which has changed because we're out, but actually a fundamental change in politics to restore that trust and allow people to yep. see politics as a force for good again. There's lots of um, public sector strikes planned for this this, uh, this, autumn, yeah. this winter. These uh, guys here might be affected by strikes if their teachers walk out. Would you pick it? Would you stand with the teachers? Uh, look, I, I don't think that um, the leader of the Labour Party should be on a picket line because I want to be Prime Minister of this country. I want a Labour government and uh, a Labour government would try to solve these issues. I don't, you know... People are now beginning to take industrial action, as we've seen, um, whether it's rail, whether it's our nurses, of course, for the first time. 
or whether it's teachers. The underlying reason for that is because people feel that they can't make ends meet. Um, and it's really tough. You know, all your prices are going up, your bills are going yeah. up, your wages aren't going well, they want up, but they're really, really rise, tough. They? So we have to understand why people are going down that road. It doesn't mean that I want to see strikes. Of course, I support the right to strike, but nobody wants to strike. Um, take the nurses, for example. They're absolutely working their socks off. They don't want to strike. They want these issues resolved. They don't want to be um, you know, unable to pay their bills. So if we had a Labour government, my role would be get people around the table and resolve these issues. And, and, you can, and can the government afford a 17% pay rise for nurses? That, that would just drive up inflation. That's well, I mean, that, that will be subject to negotiation. Yeah. But, um, you know... If, given the choice, do you sort of stand on a picket line or do you aspire to go into government and change yeah. these things? Then you've got to aspire to go into government and change these things and change the, um, and change the weather because whatever the resolution of these issues, in the end, until we tackle the cost of living crisis, yeah. we're going to go round and round in circles. We're talking a day when we're seeing some big, uh, some, the annual immigration figures are coming out today. Yeah. They should show net immigration. Mm above 200,000. The figures aren't out yet as we're speaking. How would you stop the small boats crisis on, on the south, south coast? Well, I don't think anybody wants to see people making that dangerous crossing across the channel. Um, it's tragic in so many respects. A lot of it is driven by criminal gangs um, who are exploiting very vulnerable people. And we have to stop that. Now, before I did this job, I was director of public prosecutions, and therefore in charge of criminal prosecutions in England and Wales. And we did have international teams, because a lot of crime is cross-border. We had international teams that would deal with trafficking of drugs, um, trafficking of guns. Um, We ought to be acting upstream. The National Crime Agency would be the body that I would put resource into to actually tackle these upstream. With with France and more cooperation? With with, with France and even further upstream. We do do this. I mean, in relation to drug trafficking, obviously that uh, uh, movement of drugs... When I was um, Director of Public Prosecutions, we had a team in Trinidad. And the reason for that is because cocaine was coming up from South America through Trinidad, Trinidad across to Africa, up through Europe and into the UK. So we were doing this way, way across the world to try and intercept this. We need to have the same resolve when it comes to those people that are exploiting people to get to the northern coast of France and um, then putting into dangerous boats to get across the Channel. Just quickly on on, on the Union and Scotland and the rest... Under what circumstances might a Labour government allow another referendum on Scottish independence? Well, look, I don't believe um, that the future for Scotland um, or the future for the United Kingdom uh, lies in tearing us apart. If you look at the big challenges that these young people are going to face in their lives, climate change, conflict, um, you know, building up our economy, first-class public services, none of that is going to be achieved by putting borders within the United Kingdom. So um, I want to make a powerful case for the United Kingdom, not just based on the history, we've done fantastic things together, but on the challenges we will face and the opportunities we've got going forward. And, you know, in relation to a referendum, in Scotland at the last election, every political party said the priority is cost of living is getting through, you know, after the pandemic. So, you know, this is no time for a referendum. Even if you win the elections, that, that rules out till 2028, 20, 29. Yeah, uh, there is so much that we need to do. Yeah. 
that is of a much prior, higher priority than the constitutional argument. And I think the SNP uses this argument about the constitution to hide the fact that their record in government is pretty appalling. Well, the teachers are striking in Scotland today, aren't they? The teachers are striking in Scotland. Uh, look at trying to get an ambulance in Scotland. Look at the drug problems that we've got in Scotland. Look at the economy failure in Scotland. There are so many issues on which, in my view... Um, the SNP are failing, and so you know it's a tactic. So don't look there. Yeah. Uh, look over there, um, and let's have a uh, discussion about the constitution. You know, I think there's you know we've got a brilliant future ahead um, in Scotland, but we've got to get the priorities right. And no deal if there's a hung parliament. You said so. I was there in the, in the hall of your Labour conference this year. No deal at all with the SNP. I couldn't be clearer about that. We want a Labour majority government. We won't do a deal with the SNP. Uh, now, look, I mean, uh, as you will know, sometimes um, when we get towards an election, uh, it's always put to the leader of the opposition that um, he or she will do a deal with another party in order to get more seats in Parliament. Uh, we won't be doing that with the SNP because the fundamental difference between us is that they think we should break up the United Kingdom, and I think we should hold the United Kingdom together. So there is absolutely no basis on which we could possibly do yeah. a deal. Just briefly, what's wrong with the House of Lords? Uh, well, um, that's, an, that's almost an essay question for these guys. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'd be very. Uh, look, I mean, it's, it's an unelected chamber um, where people are appointed. The recent appointments on the Conservative side have included treasurers for the Conservative Party who have all paid, uh, I think, three million pounds uh, in donations yeah. to the Tory Party, and now they find themselves in the House of Lords. That is not a system that anybody can defend, so we need to reform it. It needs to be part of a wider package, which is restoring trust in politics. I think too many people feel that politics isn't a force for good and you can't trust politicians. That, that's a very bad situation yes. for us to have got into, and we've got to change it. And just briefly, you mentioned there um, that the, the change in the party. Will Jeremy Corbyn fight for the election? Will you allow him to be a Labour candidate? I don't see the circumstance in which Jeremy Corbyn um, stands as a Labour MP at the next election. And just a, a, an easy one, I asked this of Rishi Sunak in August. You've got two children. Uh, which one's your favourite? <laughs> <laughs> Both of them. <laughs> uh, Sunak said his dog, by the way. I'll say his dog. His uh, well, dog. Uh, you I, can I, say I, dogs. No, well, um, girl who, as I say, is 12 today, yes. has been running a campaign to get a dog. Um, but she's, uh, as, a, as an interim step, she's gone for a hamster. Um, and she, she decided in order to get the hamster, she'd go for me first, soften me up, <laughs> uh, get me around her finger, which she did, yes. and then take it to, right, to her mum. Now, this is the important bit. Questions here from the politics students here. Hands up. Who's got a serious question, first of all? Who's got one? Uh, um, hi, I'm Will. Um, hi, so Will. Okay. Uh, so, okay. earlier you stated that you believe strikes are a legitimate form of pressurising employers for a fair deal for workers. Why have you discouraged your MPs from joining the picket line? Uh, Great question. Yeah, look, I, I, I think that everybody should have the right to strike. I think that they've been put into difficult circumstances where, as I say, people can't make ends meet. But I don't think the role of a Labour politician is to be on the picket line. I think the role of a Labour politician is to get out of opposition and into government and to resolve these issues. And um, I'm not the only one who thinks that because Christina McAnee is the General Secretary of Unison, one of the unions that are hugely involved in all of this. 
And she said, I don't want Labour MPs on the picket line. I want them in government to resolve these issues. So um, I actually think that um, the role of politicians is different to the role of um, trade unionists. It's, it's to get into power and resolve the underlying issues. OK, next question. Hands up. Hi, my name is Ruby. Hi, Ruby. Um, my question is, which Tory did you kiss? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm not going to start disclosing that sort of well, thing. Well, I think you're amongst friends here. But it's, it's really interesting, this, because I don't know whether you've seen these T-shirts that, that sometimes around never kissed a Tory, which actually in the Labour Party started as a joke yeah. uh, many years ago. It wasn't meant to be taken particularly seriously. And then it got into this hard position where people, you know, have you ever kissed a Tory? <laughs> but look, I mean, when I was your age or maybe a bit older... Um, and, you know, meeting people. I didn't sort of say, oh, look, this is a great night out, you know, how's it going? But before I go any further, can I just see your Labour Party membership card? <laughs> but I thought, you know, I'd be open about this because sometimes politics can get far, far too tribal um, where we're not prepared to form friendships, exchange views with people of other parties. I think that's completely <coughs> mad and wrong. Mm. I've got really good friends who are Tories, and that is a very good thing, and it doesn't present me with any issues at all. So, um, look, I can disagree with people politically, but still form friendships with them. I don't think that's abnormal in any way. And having... I worked outside of politics for most of my life, um, and... You know, that's how most people get on with their lives. Is the Tory you kissed involved in politics today? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be drawn. <laughs> right, OK, next question then. Hi, I'm Liv. So you've previously agreed that it's transphobic to say that only women have a cervix. What constitutes being a woman to you? Well, um, thank you for this question because um, it is always a sensitive issue. Let me start by saying the blindingly obvious. For 99.9-something percent of women, it's all biological and it's very straightforward. And the Labour Party has fought for women's rights for a very, very long time, for equality of pay, equality of recognition, etc. And we will fight for women's rights going into the future. So that's, in a sense, very straightforward. But as you will all know, there are a small number of people who do not identify with the gender that they were born into. And it can be incredibly stressful. And there are young people um, who are going through real anguish, actually, in relation to this. And I'm not going to join those that just want to add to the abuse of that small group of people. I actually think this is much less about, you know, which toilet do you use, etc., etc. Most people um, would say the thing I want most is to have access to health care, health treatment, health advice, which at the moment is not available because we haven't funded the NHS properly. And I know people who've been waiting a very, very long time just to get any health advice on this at all. So for the vast majority of people, it's biological. That's very, very straightforward. But I'm not going to just dismiss or ignore or pretend um, that a small group of people who don't identify with the gender they're born into um, don't exist in some way or disparage them um, in some way. Um, of course, you know, that's a discussion we can all have. I, I also think the discussion should be less toxic. Um, it's just got so divided. Um, the moment anybody expresses a view or even inquires, there's a meeting shut down. And I just think that's unhealthy in politics. Do you feel sorry for J.K. Rowling and her position on this? Look, I respect her position on this. You know, people do take different positions um, on this. Every time 
I say, look, for 99.9% of women, it's biological, and we must fight for women's rights. And I believe in safe spaces as well, by the way, because I did a lot of work on survivors of um, sexual abuse, and I absolutely understand why we need safe places. But when you say 99.9% of women, it's biological, most people agree with that. We've got to fight for women's rights. When we say there's a small group of people who don't identify with the gender they're born into, and I'm not going to ignore that, most reasonable people say, actually, I can live with that as well. Um, So I think there's a much more room for agreement than we sometimes think. But the, the problem with those sorts of questions, Chris, is they're usually intended to belittle and divide and to make toxic something which we ought to be capable of having a better conversation about. Next question. I'm Millie. It's been nearly 80 days since one of your MPs and Chief Whip, Nick Brown, has been suspended with no given reason. When will the truth come out? Uh, Millie, this is a relatively straightforward issue. We changed the investigation of allegations in relation to MPs some time ago. And the change of rules meant that um, there's complete confidentiality um, in relation to these sorts of cases. That's not a party political thing, actually. That's across all, all parties. I won't comment about the particular case, but just to sort of... The reason it's confidential is actually to... This is not... I'm not talking about this particular case because they're all confidential now. The reason for that is to give confidence to people who want to come forward to make allegations because one of the things... I felt this strongly when I was Director of Public Prosecutions. One of the things that inhibits people from coming forward sometimes is the idea that it's going to attract a lot of publicity and that if you're making an allegation, you yourself would become subject to publicity. And I saw too many cases in the Crown Prosecution Service where people didn't want to come forward because they couldn't face that. And that meant things weren't properly investigated. But um, that particular case is no different to all cases now. They're all um, confidential. Okay. Next question. Hi, uh, my name is Sky. We are living in a cost of living crisis. Would Labour nationalise key industries such as gas and electricity to lighten that burden? Uh, No, I don't think we should nationalise gas and electricity. Let me just explain... Um, why. I'm pretty pragmatic about this. I think that if there's a case for public ownership, we should look at it. And I don't fall into the category of saying all public ownership is wrong or all private ownership is wrong. We're just pragmatic um, about it. But if you take the energy companies, we've just had a nationalised energy company. A bulb um, went bust and the government nationalised it at great cost. But because Bulb still has to buy its energy on the international market the customers haven't had any reduced prices, so it actually wouldn't help with the cost of living crisis. But what we have said as a party is that the race for renewables is on. There's a very exciting race to be had for renewable energy, uh, wind, t- uh, solar, tidal, uh, hydrogen, new nuclear, etc. Um, we want to drive towards that. I think that's a fantastic opportunity, by the way. And we've said there should be um, a publicly owned company, GB Energy, which will be the vehicle to drive this going forward. Because the example I would give is that five million people pay their bill, their energy bills, to a company that's owned by the French government. And I think that um, if we're putting public money into the run towards renewables, which we should, that should have, have the yields back here in the United Kingdom. Would you mind a wind farm next to your house? Look, I, I, I've, I think wind farms are great. I mean, they're, they're not built right next to people's houses. No. They're built uh, at a distance. But you can hear them. People live in. Well, they, can, they complain to us, you, you see. You can hear them if you're standing next to them. But you're, you're not... I mean, you don't have to get right up close to a wind farm to 
um, hear them. They're, they're pretty amazing. I mean, I've been to a lot of wind farms. But look, they're onshore uh, wind um, that can generate a huge amount of um, energy, much cheaper than anything else, without destroying the planet. That's a lot of things that we should be charging towards. Morning, Keir. I'm Zach. Um, my question is, why is the Labour Party never elected a female leader? Um, it's a good question, and we should, Zach, um, because, you know, we've had fantastically strong women in the Labour Party, done a lot of things on women's rights. I've got brilliant women around me. Um, Angela Rayner, Rachel Reeves, you know, Yvette Cooper, um, Lisa Nandy, you name it, Bridget Phillipson. Um, but we haven't elected um, a woman yet. We should do. I'm not going to shy away from that. Um, I hope that we do have a woman leader of the Labour Party um, before too long. But, you know, at the moment, we haven't uh, done that. But we've done a huge amount of stuff for women um, and women's rights. But um, do we need a women leader of the Labour Party? Yes, we do. OK, next question. Hi, I'm Pollyanna. Pollyanna, nice to see you. Um, with two years until the general election and public momentum against the Tory party currently at like a peak, how will you maintain this until 2024? Um, it's a very good question, Pollyanna, because, you know, 2024 is the likely date of the next election. We don't know for sure because it can come um, sooner. I think what we've got to do is keep building the positive case for change. And I think sometimes the tides turn in politics and people look at the party that's in and say this is tired they're out of ideas they haven't got the hope and inspiration to take us forward and we have to build the case for that over the next two years but we need to keep our feet on the ground and not get complacent um, and always recognize that every single vote has to be earned so it'll be a lot of discipline a lot of scrutiny a lot of pressure but we have to make the case for hope and aspiration i do feel very strongly, particularly when I'm talking to young people, that yeah. we are in this sort of defensive crouch as a, as a country now. We don't have the confidence to run towards the challenges that we face. And I want to break us out of that um, and run towards what I think will be a very, very bright future. Are you ready for the scrutiny? Do you have private health care, for example? No, I don't have private health care. No. Um, and because we found out th- this week that Richie Sunak may have private health care. <laughs> well, he hasn't confirmed. He it, hasn't so. actually confirmed. But no, I, I'm a massive advocate of the NHS. My mum was a nurse. She was actually very ill um, all of her life. And um, so, you know, we spend a lot of time in and out of hospital. My wife works in the NHS. My sister worked in the NHS. My mother-in-law was a doctor. So we're NHS yeah. through and through. Hi, I'm Bella. And my question is, which MP of any party would you never have in your cabinet? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'd have to go for Boris Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) Right, next question. Great question. Next question. Uh, Hi, I'm Toby. Uh, My question to you is, uh, who are your favourites to win the World Cup and why? (laughs) Uh, England. (laughs) Um, And we got off to a fantastic start, so... I think that squad is really, really good. Um, so I've put England um, up there. Brazil, I think, will do well as well. They've got a really good front line. Um, and it was interesting to see Argentina and Germany lose. So, that, I mean, we'll see how Brazil get on. But, but Brazil are always up there, aren't they? Look, yeah. any international competition, you say, who's likely to yeah. win it? Brazil are always going to be. How about Wales? You're, you're obviously, you might be PM for the UK. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I really would like to see Wales do well. And, and they did really well because they obviously went a goal behind. 
And then the second half, they had to really, really turn it around. And they came out the second half and did fantastic things. So good luck to Wales. Next question. Hi, Keir. I'm Kasia. Do you think the Conservatives are a threat to UK abortion access? Uh, well... That's the thing on, on the um, social media, isn't it? There's a big concern about this. Yeah, I, I think that might be putting it a bit high, in fairness. Um, what's, your, what, what's your position on abortion? I believe in a woman's right to choose. And I think um, we have to be very careful. I mean, if you, if you look at what's happened in America, um, that is a dangerous, slippery slope that we must never go down. Um, and so, I mean, I think quite often there are cross-party you know, consensuses on these things. And I, I think a lot of the Conservatives would agree that a woman's right to choice is the right way forward. And you wouldn't change the rules on when you can abort and can't abort? No, I, th- I think we've got to be very careful to, to um, hold the position. Uh, hi, Keir. I'm Ket. Um, you've spoken about the uh, abolition of the House of Lords. Uh, would this extend to any other institutions like the monarchy? Um, no, I wouldn't abolish the <laughs> like monarchy. Like the monarchy, yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, but the House, I mean, the House of Lords, it's very difficult to defend the House of Lords. If you look at who's being put in, why they're being put in, um, the idea that, you know, the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition can choose who goes into one of the Houses of our Parliament, I just think is wrong. We need reform of it. So it's got to be part what, of a wider package um, of reform. Sorry, Chris. I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but, but why, in that case, why, why, why put in Tom Watson? Well, because until we change the House of Lords, we need good people in there. They've, they've got a really important role in scrutinising legislation. I mean, whilst I want to change the House of Lords, I wouldn't yeah. take away from the work that they do. They work really, really hard. They scrutinise legislation. They make important changes to legislation. And that is a good thing. So none of my argument in relation to the House of Lords involves denigrating any of the members in there. Um, if you actually look at the hours they keep, the work they do, and the important change they bring about, it's hugely significant. Yeah, thank you. Uh, hi, Keir. I'm Toby. And what's your favourite go-to drink at the House of Commons bar? I, I, I drink beer usually. But I have to say, I, I usually avoid the House of Commons bar. But you just have to picture the scene. Lots of MPs... Lots of journalists, all descending onto one bar after work. Uh, now, that's not my idea of a night out. No, it's cool. <laughs> so uh, I go to our local pub uh, rather than go to that. I mean, it's not that I never go, but it's not. I'm not a regular in there. Hi, I'm Connie. Hi, Connie. Um, as we're all living through this cost of living crisis, and so many families sacrifice so much, how and will the Labour Party justify putting Christmas parties on the expenses? I don't think you can justify putting Christmas um, parties on expenses. And I sincerely hope that no MP does that. Uh, the fact that you can do it doesn't mean that you must do it. And I think it's really hard to look the public in the eye um, and justify that. So I certainly won't be doing it. Um, and I hope the vast majority of MPs don't do it. Yeah. Just final questions. Hi, Keir. I'm Gabe. Uh, if you had to pick one, who's your favourite Conservative Prime Minister? Oh, look, these questions are really, really difficult. Boris Johnson, Liz Trust. No, no, no. I I go way back um, to Winston Churchill because that was an incredible period, an incredible threat to our country, threat to the world. And I think almost everybody would acknowledge that um, he was an incredibly um, important, um, significant leader. 
he had Attlee, who then became Prime Minister, um, alongside him. So you actually had this combination of Churchill and They were great friends, weren't they? They were friends, and Churchill was ill at times, and away, in a way we wouldn't understand in politics now, where a Prime Minister was away for months at a time, and Attlee was effectively running the country. But I would easily say Churchill in answer to that question. Anyone else? Um, I'm Caitlin, and do you think behaviour of politicians in Parliament sets a good example for the rest of the public? Uh, no, I think we've got to massively improve. I think there are two aspects. One, one funny, I mean, if you come to Prime Minister's questions, you see all sorts of behaviour that wouldn't be tolerated in your classroom. Um, but more importantly, when politicians break the rules, particularly the rules that they've set and that other people have to follow, like the COVID rules, I think it's a really, really bad example because it destroys trust in politics. And, and that's not... Sometimes that can sound like you know, you're know you just a sort of one of these people that wants to obey the rules and all the rest of it. But I do think that it's important that politicians behave with integrity, behave properly and respectfully. Because if we don't, then people lose trust in politics. And when people lose trust in politics, they then say, what's the point in voting? And once we go down that road people get very far from being able to influence what's going to matter in their lives. So I do think integrity and following the rules and behaving respectfully matters. Hello, I'm Leke. In an interview with Piers Morgan, you refused 14 times to answer if you took drugs. Could you clarify this? For- Are you Could trying clarify- the 15th time? <laughs> <laughs> I had a good time when I was uh, younger. Well, number Thank 16. you, Piers. <laughs> you know, that, that interview with Piers, I mean, the, the, the final version was um, an hour-long package, I think. Um, but the interview was three hours. We just sat with the cameras rolling without a break. It was very, very intense. Was it 14 times, he asked me? Yeah. <laughs> so it's not a yes or a no, number 16. No? That's 16. You see, you've got Chris going now. <laughs> and just finally, for these, uh, these, they will, they'll be voting for the first time in the next general election. Just stepping back from the party politics of it, can you tell them that their best days lie ahead? I mean, life is quite difficult at the moment. Cost of living crisis, there's a war in Ukraine, and there's the housing issues. There's, a, there's a, lots of obstacles, but give them something to, be, to feel cheery about. I absolutely believe that your, uh, your best days, our best days lie ahead of us. I think there are fantastic opportunities that I want you to have, and I really hope you do have. Um, I've used climate as an example or other examples um, of what we're doing in life sciences in the creative industries where we've got brilliant um, creatives whether that's art design you know you name it music of course where uh, we've got a global reputation but if you take climate running towards renewables being involved in the next generation of planes and cars and the way we behave is a fantastically exciting future so yes i absolutely believe your best days ahead and i want all politicians to make sure that the best days are ahead of you i'll just end with this chris because it, it my dad was a toolmaker worked in a factory my mum was a nurse and you know at some some stages when we were growing up things weren't as easy as they might have been you know we had our phone cut off and that sort of thing and so my mum and dad had what very many parents have which is the ups and downs of um, you know, getting on, um, working, having a family, etc., etc. But what drove them, and I saw this very much towards the end of their lives, what comforted them was the idea that it would be better for their children. And they genuinely believed that things would always move forward, progress, and others would have better opportunities. We've slightly lost that mm. 
and we need to get it back. And we need to get it back for you more than anyone because your future's lie ahead will you, of you. Will it be better for them? It will be better for them, and I will do everything I can in opposition and hopefully in government to make sure that we can follow through and ensure that your best days do lie ahead of you. I'm convinced they do. Well, Keir Starmer, leader of the Labour Party, thank you for joining us today on Short Politics, and thank you to the, the really great questions here from the students from St George's School, Harmsden. Please show your appreciation for Keir Starmer. So Keir Starmer there with a rallying cry about why there might be some hope for the future of our youngest generation and the future voters of this country. Thank you to my guest this week, Sir Keir Starmer, leader of the Labour Party. Thank you to the politics students from St George's School, Harperden, for their brilliant questions, far better than mine, I think you'll agree. And thank you as ever to my brilliant team of producers, Louisa Wells and Giles Gear, and the video team, Ed Gould, Andy Watson and Elliot Daly. For more Westminster insights, do check out my daily Choppers Politics newsletter. The link for that is in the show notes to this episode. And why not have a peep at my Peterborough diary column out every Friday evening online at 7pm and in Saturday's newspaper. But most importantly, I really want your musings, what you think of what's going on in politics and particularly what we should be doing more of on this podcast. Email me, chopperspolitics at telegraph.co.uk or tweet me, we're at chopperspodcast. And remember, if you can, please do buy a copy of the Daily Telegraph or the Sunday Telegraph at the weekend if you can. I know you won't regret it. Until next time, though, cheerio! 